Um, how would you define or describe the gospel? If I said, if that was the question, define the gospel, describe the gospel, how would you do it? Just, just quickly, quickly or briefly, just yell out some things. Good news of great joy for all people. That really does sound like Christmas. <laughs> Redemption. Redemption. Salvation. Salvation. Yeah. Who Jesus is and what he did. So when I think about the gospel, I probably think like Rowan about talking mostly straight away about who Jesus is and what he did. So kind of think about the life, death, resurrection, and then the return of Jesus. That's kind of the first thing that comes to mind. And then listen to this this morning. Um, Luke chapter 9, verse, we're going to read from verse 1 to 6. Uh, it says, And Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority of all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics. And whatever, um, whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there depart, and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages preaching. What did they preach? The gospel and healing everywhere. And I, as I was studying this, I was like, what? They can't be preaching my gospel because Jesus hasn't died, risen, and uh, they don't even know that yet. In fact, this is, Jesus is trying to tell them that, that part, and that's part, part of the story that they can't yet accept. So the gospel is a lot more than that kind of just the, the life, death, uh, resurrection, and return of Jesus. Um, over here, if we think about it, what is the gospel? One of the oldest ways that the gospel was spoken about, uh, before we kind of speak about it the way we do, is the gospel is the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom of God. Uh, it says that Jesus sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God, and they go preaching the gospel. And so it's the gospel of the kingdom of God. And this has kind of been uh, one of the oldest ways that the Bible talks about the gospel is this good news about the kingdom. In Daniel 7 verse 13, Daniel says, I saw a vision. There came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancients of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which should not pass away, and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. In Psalm 22, King David writes, Kingship belongs to the Lord, and He rules over nations. So in the Old Testament, the, the expectation is that God is going to ultimately bring His kingdom on earth, and He's going to reign through one that's yet to be revealed, um, but He will be one that is like the Son of Man. Then we get into the, Old, the New Testament, and this isn't forgotten. John the Baptist says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven, or God's kingdom, is at hand. It's, it's, it's close. It's happening. Uh, can you feel the ground shaking, uh, earth's quaking, God's King is coming, something's happening. Um, then Paul writes, that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, Jesus. So those who believe in Jesus Christ, they've placed their faith in Jesus Christ, have been transferred. It's like if you were to move countries and you get on a plane, you, get in, you may have to wait in a, a transfer lounge 
you're transferring from one place to another. It says that God has taken uh, us and transferred us from one kingdom into the kingdom of His Son, into a new kingdom, kingdom of light, um, the kingdom of His beloved Son, Jesus. And then John in Revelation, right at the end of our Bible, says, We give thanks to you, O Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and you have begun to reign. And so right kind of from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, the, the, this kind of old common way of talking about the gospel is the king and his kingdom who's coming to transfer people uh, into it, to take them out of darkness and bring them into light. And uh, it's going to be through uh, God's Messiah, his beloved son. Um, and so uh, this idea of, of kingdom is, is there. And so Jesus comes and, and he's saying, go out. Go out and talk about the kingdom of God. Talk, tell people about it. It's great news. Proclaim the good news of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. Um, and this has always been uh, the good news. So what happens is the, the, the news, news of the kingdom comes to us. We get invited into the kingdom of Jesus through faith, through grace, through what Jesus has done on the cross. That's why we focus there. Through the finished work of Jesus, we're brought into his kingdom. That's why, what we're going to do around communion later on. And then as part of the citizens of, of the kingdom, we become citizens of Jesus' kingdom. We're in this kingdom of light. We're under his rule and authority. And we, we come before our king. And our king says, go back out into all the villages left in darkness and call them back in. Call others in with you. And we call that evangelism. And all that is, is people going out and telling others good news about the king and his kingdom of light and what he's done to offer them an invitation in. Um, And that's evangelism. However... Even though Jesus demonstrated his comprehensive power over nature, you know, the storm, demons, disease, and even death, some people still disregarded his good news. So we see the stories Luke's telling, and he's showing Jesus' comprehensive power. There's no possibility that if Jesus wasn't someone great, that he could do all of these things. And even still, as the message of the kingdom goes out, people disregard Jesus. Um, they, they, they want to do without Him. And so this morning, I want to ask these two questions. Number one, why do people disregard Jesus? And number two, how are we encouraged to share good news? Um, number one is really just kind of just understanding, I guess, why people disregard Jesus. It's not making judgments. It's not trying to solve the issue. There's no magic kind of bullet. Once we figure it out, we can just... Uh, manipulate people into the kingdom of God, but just understand it. Number two is to kind of see the way that Jesus, um, a way over here that we can evangelize that I think uh, really suits Perth um, as a culture, and we'll get into that in a moment. So number one, why do people disregard Jesus? The first reason is the mystery. Um, After this narrative, if you keep reading past Luke 6, it goes to Herod. And Herod doesn't, can't figure out who Jesus is. To, to Herod, Jesus is a mystery. He keeps hearing these stories about Jesus. Jesus is clear, clearly great, and Jesus is clearly dangerous. Um, and so Herod's quite keen to actually meet Jesus and try and figure him out. But we find out that Herod, Herod uh, can't figure out if Jesus is John the Baptist, who's been raised from the dead, 
which Herod struggles to believe, but this is what people are saying to him, but Herod's struggling to believe that because he's beheaded John the Baptist. Uh, so that would be terrible if that's true. And, and Herod was a fan of John the Baptist, but he kind of fell into a trick by his wife and had to behead him. Um, he, someone says that he's Elijah, the prophet that's come. Remember, Elijah never died. He was taken to heaven. And so they're saying, no, this is Elijah who's been brought now back. And, and he's this most powerful prophet who's uh, now here. And so this is a very important person. Um, and, and others say he's, he's just a prophet. Uh, but they can't figure him out. Regardless of who you say he is, everyone's just trying to have their best guess at figuring out who Jesus is. And um, that's what Herod's trying to do. So there's this like, kind of great mystery about him. Like He's clearly someone, but we can't figure him out. He doesn't fit our categories. And, and that's even true today, that people, you know, Jib wonderfully said, if you're not a Christian today, you can kind of um, go consider history and you know, look it up, and, and you will find that there is historically a man named Jesus who was confusing even to those who didn't believe in him. They didn't doubt that he existed. The historical evidence for Jesus um, is as much as any Roman emperor ever, more. He's written in more sources, uh, non-Christian sources, uh, that kind of give evidence to him. But, but what isn't conclusive is they can't figure out this guy who's going around doing these miraculous signs and preaching this message of love. Who is he? He says he's uh, God, but who is he really? And so there's this kind of this, this horrible mystery about those who won't believe is, yeah, I can see there's something about Jesus, but I, I don't accept that he's the Messiah or the only way, but, but I see that there's something about him. And we don't like the mystery of it. Number two is the normalness. And forgive me for calling Jesus normal. Uh, you would be right to say that Jesus is anything but normal, except that Jesus was entirely very normal, very ordinary, and entirely average. This is, this is what is most offensive about Jesus, is He's so normal. If you go look in Mark's Gospel before this story, um, just before the story in Mark's Gospel, Jesus is in Nazareth amongst His people. The people that have watched Him grow, His neighbors, and uh, His own people are watching what He does, and they're hearing His message, and, and this is what they say. They say, how can this be? Isn't this Mary's son? Now, that's the biggest insult. You may love your mom. I hope you do. And if someone said to me, about Mark. Mark, hey, Mark's a pastor in a church and he preaches quite often. What? Isn't Mark just Eunice's son? That's my mom's name. That wouldn't be like an insult to me. It would be an insult to my mom. But um, in, those, in, this, in, the, in Jesus' day, no one was called by their mother's name. No one. You were called by your father's name. Uh, Jesus by Joseph, son of Joseph. No one is called by them. To call Jesus to say, isn't this Mary's son, is to say, isn't he just a bastard? Isn't he just that scandal? Isn't he just the kid who is part of that, that thing that everyone tries to not talk about? Why? Who does he think he is? If you want to go find some Australian culture in the Bible, go to Nazareth, where they cut Jesus down all the time. And they mock Him. Isn't this just the bastard? And then on the cross, we see it again. 
It's not just in his hometown amongst his people, but on the cross again, we find the soldiers and the crowd spitting on him, mocking him. If you are the son of God, then uh, raise yourself up, you know, prove your power. If you're this thing, they mockingly put king of the Jews over his head. You, this, he is so normal. Let's just have a go at everything he says about himself. He's so ordinary, and that's what they mock. They mock the normalness of Jesus. Look, he's just, he's just a normal guy who's going to die like everyone else. If you're someone special, prove yourself. And today, Jesus comes to Perth and he's easily disregarded. Uh, I think because people in Perth value their independent authority to rule over their own lives. We, Westerners, we like our independent authority to rule over our own lives. There's a whole lot of social crises happening at the moment, not just the pandemic. There's things that are far worse than the pandemic happening right now. Divisive issues between people that really come down to uh, people's independence, their autonomy, their freedom. We don't like someone who comes to lord himself over us because ultimately we are the lords of our lives. We've been told our whole lives that we are. We are the kings and the queens of our kingdoms. And Christians, our biggest problem is assent. Assent means something we agree upon, something we state and we say, that's what I believe. And as Western Christians, as Perth Christians, our, I, think one of our, I think one of our biggest problems is that we are taught a doctrinal knowledge base that we can ascend to, and we feel quite strong about our faith because we actually have quite a well-established documents of faith. We have statements of faith. We know what we believe and we can say, that's what I ascend to. It's a little bit like being a fan of a sports club. Um, the Lakers are the most winning franchise in the history of franchise sports. I love that I lived in L.A. and I love that I'm an L.A. Laker fan because somehow their victory gives me status. I'm part of the most winning franchise in history. What have they done for me? Nothing. They've just taken my money. <laughs> but I ascend to being a fan, and that makes me part of the greatest team in franchise sports history. And so I can ascend to believe things about Jesus and to believe things about God, and, and that gives me this kind of confidence that, yeah, so I'm this Christian who, like, believes all the right things, and, you know, oh, you're part of that denomination. Well, they don't have as good a belief system as ours. You know, one day if you really become mature, you might become more like us, you know? This is how I, I find if someone goes, <laughs> yeah, never mind. Let's just keep moving. Let's keep moving slowly forward. But there's this ascent, and so we, we, as long as we can talk about you know, I believe in a God. I believe in a God of grace. I believe in a God. Uh, I, I believe that we walk with the Spirit. I believe that, and we have all these beliefs. That doesn't mean we do any of it. That's just a sense. The biggest problem we have in Christianity is independence. Not independence from anything else, but independence from God. That we believe these things about God and yet we still lord our own lives. We sang today about His power. The problem is our power. There's a popular book out at the moment that says the title is The Mountain Is You. In other words, the mountains are seen as challenges in life. 
You know, we had all these external challenges and the book saying, the challenge is you. You're the, th- you're the challenge. And I think, the, why do people disregard Jesus in, in Perth? Primarily because of themselves. A.W. Tozer was preaching almost a century ago, and in one sermon, he speaks to some of the leaders in the church. Um, if you haven't listened to Tozer, uh, you can. It's hard, to, it's hard to find a lot of audio from him, but he's a, great, he's a really great theologian and a very good preacher. And, um, but you really do need to strap yourself in if you're going to listen to him. He wasn't preaching to make friends. And um, Tozer, he says, he's in this, he's in this church and he doesn't say it, you know, like I'm saying it. I'm saying it's like our city is independent. I'm not saying you're independent, even though that's what I'm hoping you hear. Toza says, he goes, we've sung sweeter as the years go by. He goes, you deacons, Jesus isn't sweeter to you. Deacons, he's talking to some of the leaders of the church. He says, you're, you're the same old grumpy deacons for the last 20 years. For 20 years you've been grumpy. Jesus is no sweeter to you today than he was 20 years ago. Don't sing sweeter is sweet as the years go by. It's not true. I've seen you. He's just calling them out. Jesus is sweeter, and he should be sweeter. There's nothing wrong with the song, but don't you sing it because it's not true. I've seen your face. I've seen your life. I've seen your attitude. He's not sweeter as the years have gone by. Well, so is that he's not bringing condemnation. Is actually an invitation to say, Jesus really is the most wonderful and beautiful uh, being you will ever meet and know. But don't pretend, because when you pretend, you're missing out. He really has to be that to you. Don't ascend to, ascend to it. Let it become real. You know, if I'm not sure that, um, if I'm not sure about something, I've got to keep restating it. I'll, I'll use a safe example. If I'm, let's, let's say I'm not sure I love my wife that much, that she's that important to me. Then I might just keep saying, I love my wife. She's the most wonderful woman. And really, I'm trying to tell myself to believe that. I love my wife. She's the most wonderful woman. Oh, Jib, I love my wife. She's the most wonderful woman. If that were true and deeply inside of me, I don't need anyone to know it. I don't need to even state it. Because the beauty of it is already kind of filling my heart. Does that, does that make sense? I might need to. So that's not an excuse not to say to your wife that you love her and she's the most important person. You should be saying it to her. What, all I'm saying is, these are not excuses. Does that make sense? We are sent to too much. So some of Jesus' followers are sent to Jesus being beautiful, Jesus being wonderful, Jesus being Lord of their lives. But then if you watch each other's lives, there's a resistance to Jesus. There's a, there's a, we're holding on to our independence. We continue as we were. And God is gracious and the church is gracious as well. Hopefully people don't run around condemning each other. But unfortunately, the world gets left being quite unconvinced by how wonderful Jesus is, because they appeared and looked into my life and they saw very little change. That's why they say, in, in the, that's why the stats show that uh, over, I forget the number, but over 50% of children who grew up in Christian homes in Australia 
walk away from their faith. And the number one reason when asked why is because when watching their parents' lives, their conclusion was Jesus didn't matter that much, practically. Practically speaking, not theologically. Not <laughs> did we have a little, my grandma has a little bread. It's like a loaf of bread with little cards you pull out and it's like a little scripture for the day. I think that's supposed to be the, give us today our daily bread. And you pull it out and <laughs> read your Bible. That didn't save my mom. All the Christian stuff all over the house, you can put up things on the walls and had bed, have bed sheets with Jesus' face on it. Do whatever you want. If he's not practically beautiful to you, your kids will call it out. And then they grow up and go, I don't need, the, I don't need that crutch. I'll just live how my parents lived and just ignore the Jesus part because it wasn't practical or meaningful anyway. I'm not saying that's always the reason. I'm just saying that's, that's what the kind of stats show. So people disregard Jesus because he's too mysterious or too normal. So how are we encouraged then, if that's, how, if that's the landscape that we're going into, where Jesus is easily disregarded, then how do we go and evangelize? How do we evangelize in our homes? How do we evangelize in our neighborhoods? How do we evangelize in our workplaces? And I think Jesus gives us kind of five things to do in this text. Uh, I'll give a statement and then I'll break it down. Sharing the good news with others is a journey of simplicity in which we are to anticipate that others may receive or reject the message of Jesus and that ultimately we are dependent upon God. Sharing the good news of others is a journey of simplicity in which we are to anticipate that others may receive or reject the message of Jesus and that ultimately we are dependent upon God. So, number one, I think what we see over here as Jesus sends out the disciples is... And, is number one is it's a journey it's not an appointment so a journey is is a trip that takes a little bit of time uh you don't know exactly what you're going to see along the way but you're observant right if you go on a journey you kind of you, you kind of look up look out and you, there's an expectancy anticipation that some things might happen it's not an appointment like you have an appointment to get your car fixed or an appointment to go to the doctor or an appointment to go to the dentist or an appointment to see your tax agent and you go there with this goal and you have a, a, a conversation or you drop off your car and then you come back an hour later and everything's fixed. Uh, the doctor, the dentist, the tax agent, the mechanic, you know, that's an appointment. You go in, quick conversation or quick thing, uh, there's a transfer of probably money for their uh, skills and then you leave and there's a solution. So if we think of that in evangelism, we think we go into a conversation, if we do our job properly like professional Christians, then they will get saved. If they don't get saved, we walk out going, I'm a pretty terrible Christian. How come my, my evangelism is so powerless and weak? But Jesus says, on your journey, go on your journey. Not, your, not appointments, go on your journey. This is, this is going to take a little while. Be, be observant, look out. See who's going to come your way. See what conversation's going to happen. Who are you going to share Jesus with today? Don't know. Anticipate. Look out the car windows. See what comes up. So number one, it's a journey. Um, and we kind of look for these opportunities uh, to let others know about Jesus. And this was exactly what, what, what was true for the disciples. Is They're going. He says, whichever home is open to you, build, like create this base there. So, you know, they don't know. He didn't say, go on your journey, but go to John and J Jane's house. Start there. 
Go on your journey, and when there's someone that opens to you, build a base there. Start, stay there. Do something there. Uh, so they have to go and, and observe. Look. So go on your journey. Go on your journey. Look around. Be open. Be open to a conversation. Be open to a friend. Be open to a family member who allows a small window to talk about Jesus. Don't turn a small window, don't bash it with a, a crane and turn it into a big window um, because that will destroy the conversation. Just take the small window and allow for what's allowed and move on. Secondly, it's a journey that requires simplicity or, or faith. Jesus says, you know, he, he tells them a whole bunch of stuff not to take with. How practical is Jesus? You know, like, don't take this, don't take that, don't take this, don't take that. Because the first thing is, what, what are they thinking? As soon as Jesus says, go on a journey, they go, okay, I'm going to go get super prepared so that I'll need nothing. Jesus goes, go on a journey and don't take anything you're thinking about right now. What? Just go. Just go. And what, what do you have, if you go and you don't have anything, who do you have to depend on? God. Part of the problem is, if you go, if you go and you go is kind of this like, go with simplicity, the opposite of simplicity is this discontentment and this kind of like consumerism. If you go and, and everyone's looking into your life and they go like, man, your life looks as busy and chaotic and you, it's just stuff, stuff, stuff as mine does, I don't really understand the message. I can't find Jesus in all the, it looks like your priorities are just the same as my priorities. It looks like your ambitions are the same as my ambitions. It looks like your idols are the same as my idols. Sorry, what, who's this Jesus again? Jesus says, just put everything away. Just, just go. The idolatry of discontentment causes um, us to, to use people in a few ways that kind of is not... Helpful. Number one, we see this in, in some areas where people get used for money. So like evangelists go most famously into poor communities, right? You've, you've all seen this, where some famous evangelist goes into some like really poor community and shows up in a Mercedes Benz and the message becomes, if you give enough and put, give your faith, if you put your life, give your life to Jesus, then you too can become like a king like me and drive around in Mercedes and have lots of US dollars. Message gone. Good news gone. Free grace gone. Jesus, not beautiful. The US dollar, beautiful. Or friendship. You know, when you're spending time with people, having deep conversations, you know what usually happens? You start to care for one another. And it's easy. I heard someone once say to me, yeah, we've become very good friends. I'm not sure that they'll ever receive Jesus, but it doesn't really matter. Um, we, we, have a, we have a deep and meaningful friendship. Which is, there's nothing wrong with that statement, except for the fact that there's no mission in it. That person still is, ultimately and eternally, going to be outside of the presence of God. But lucky for you, you have a friend. You see how selfish it is. Great. You got a friend, and they didn't get Jesus, and everything's good. Um, we got, yeah, all for our own approval or glory. This is probably the one I struggle with the most personally, just to confess, because when you've been able to share Jesus with someone, it's very hard not to run around going, "Do you know what happened today? I had this conversation, and we were able to talk about Jesus, and it was so wonderful." Because, and then you find yourself, or I find myself, 
just telling the person I'm telling about all the things that I said. And why? Because it makes me look so glorious and wonderful. What a wonderful Christian I am that I was able to share the gospel with someone. Listen to all the clever things I said about Jesus. As opposed to excitement, just simply, man, I can't believe it. This person asked about Jesus and we spoke for like 10 minutes. It's ridiculous. Isn't that amazing? Wow. God must have been really, he was into that. Hey, could we invite them over for dinner sometime? Maybe there'll be another 10-minute conversation. Anyway, we can share the gospel of Jesus for our own glory. So Jesus says, just go, simp- go, go in simplicity. Jesus has to be beautiful. If he's not beautiful to you and you try and evangelize, people are going to see through that. Number three, it's inclusive of all people and it's intentional. Jesus tells the disciples to enter the home of whoever opens up. The gospel is for everyone, all kinds of people. Everyone. What a wonderful message. Good news for all people. So don't be too sure about what door's going to open up. But it's for all people. So how might we do this? How could we kind of build a space? Home opens up and and Jesus says, stay there, enjoy the hospitality and share the gospel there because all their neighbors are going to come and it's going to, you know, and eventually what we saw later on as as Jesus dies, rises, we see this model continue and we see house churches begin and and then we just see this, you know, 3,000 got saved and they met together in these different places and then more people get added and then there's persecution, so there's this diaspora. They all leave, and they go, and then they go into other houses, and people get saved, and, and these churches pop up all over the place very quickly. And it wasn't just like that right then, but that's what it goes to. But it can be very easy, practically. It could be a brief weekly conversation that's slowly building to the claims of Jesus. I heard someone in, in the church this week had a conversation with someone They never got to the gospel, but they just got as far as the person thinking about the meaning of their life and coming to the conclusion that their life felt very shallow and very empty. That's enough. Okay. So everything you built your life on so far is not going to give you ultimate purpose and meaning and satisfaction. Let's chat about, let's, I've got some ideas I'd love to ask you about next week. Can we get together and have another chat? Right around that? That's a good enough start. A weekly conversation that's building to the claims of Jesus. A Bible study that considers the message of Jesus. A book study that looks at themes. You know, get a bunch of people just like you. A bunch of teachers. A bunch of doctors. A bunch of business people just like you. Grab a book that speaks to people just like you. And just read it together. Ask each other questions. Let it, let it lead you towards Jesus. Going for walks on the beach and grabbing a beer in the pub. I, had a, I was, I was um, speaking to one friend. We had a nine-hour conversation around Jesus. Nine hours. That took up a whole day. It was a Saturday as well. So Saturday, phew, gone. Nine hours. It was a good conversation, obviously. But they didn't come to Jesus. So I left both uh, happy and sad. Like nine hours. Oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> this is either going to drive them away or I don't know what. Um, but they were up for it. Sorry. Let me just say 
they were up for it. It wasn't me not leaving until I'd finished everything I had to say. Um, they kept asking questions. Anyway, I went to a friend in this church, and I said, can you help me? You have a similar history to them, and you've come to Christ, and I can't quite find the nerve that, that I can't find where to touch, where Jesus is precious and beautiful to them. I, I've shared my story. I've shared the faith. They know the gospel. They know everything, but I can't quite connect them and how their story connects to Jesus. And this person said, oh, yeah, simply I would, I would just ask them what they think the law there is there for. It's like, what do you mean? How does that fit into anything? I said, because this person probably is sitting under the weight of the law and judges their whole life by it. And as soon as they can see that the law is just there to expose their sin, and then the grace of God comes to save them, uh, that might help. I was like, oh, all right, I'll see. I was disbelieving. I sat down for a coffee. Uh, five minutes into the conversation, I said, hey, what do you think the law is there for? And this person said just exactly what my friend had said and said, well, I guess it's like it's the way we're supposed to live. I said, well, do you feel like you're doing all right with that? No, no, I, I, I'm doing terrible with that. I failed every one of them. I was like, oh, can you tell me what the law is? No, nah, I don't remember any of them. Couldn't remember any of them, but knew they were failing every one of them. <laughs> That's the, that was the feeling of the law. It's, I don't even know what it is, but it's so bad that I already feel condemned by it. Okay, let's talk about that. What if there was another purpose for the law? And we spoke about how Paul talks about it and how the law is given there as, as this guardian, that it leads us to the grace of Jesus, that it's there to show us that we can't save ourselves and blah, blah, blah. Right at the table in the coffee shop, surrounded by people, all the murmuring and chirping, he gives his heart to Jesus. His eyes change, his countenance changes, the presence of God comes at our table. Not the nine-hour conversation, but the 20-minute conversation with a little help from a friend. Just finding practical ways. Start something. Start a chat somewhere. Fourthly, but it's also exclusive. Jesus tells his disciples, you know, if people, are, if they decide that they don't want to receive the good news, move on. Shake off your dust from that town and move to another village. We have to be careful that as we get to know people, we don't love them so much that we diminish or water down the message of Jesus or just completely put it to the shelf because we're just enjoying them so much that, you know, this thing's really not productive. Let's just put it away and, and we'll just continue this. Maybe this will become fruitful again one day. Jesus says, no. Keep on the journey. Keep looking out for other opportunities. Keep on mission. And let's find a way. Don't, don't, the other thing we can do is, you know, don't for your own glory's sake go, no, I've done the best job. I've given them the gospel. They didn't receive it. Well, Sodom and Gomorrah to them. You know, just leave it in the Lord's hands. See what God will do with it. And wait expectantly, delighted, to hear that maybe they've come to the Lord. I had a friend who had a dream that Jesus came to him in a dream, and then he went to my soccer coach and said, this guy named Jesus came to me in a dream and told me to give my life to him. What, what should I do? And he sh shared the gospel with him, and none of us know what, what he did. But the next week he died in a car accident. Don't know if he received it, don't know if he didn't. It's not up to us anyway. We just leave it in the Lord's hands and keep moving. Keep moving. Keep being observant. 
And fifthly, lastly, remember that we're totally dependent on God. So the disciples go and they preach the gospel and they heal people. This is a, this is a way of um, them showing the reality of the kingdom of God. I just want to make this statement for us. I'm sure we all know, but just to be clear, there has never been a time in, the Christian, in Christian history for the last 2,000 years since this period of time where the power of God has been so um, evident in terms of connecting healing to salvation. But it doesn't mean that it can't be like that. We, we don't know exactly how God will save everyone. But right here, in these, you'll find so often right at the beginning that the evidence of the kingdom came with healings, some sort of sign and wonder to connect them to the reality of the king and his kingdom. But what we're, we're not called to go out as miracle doers or, or you know, these kind of miracle workers. We're called to go out to proclaim the gospel. Then let God show his power however he chooses. All, the ultimate power is that dead spiritual beings are raised to spiritual life. That's more powerful than anything. And sometimes that follows, that what follows or proceeds is miraculous power. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes you're sitting in a coffee shop and you're just looking into someone's eyes and you can see that a dead person just turned into a living person. And that the joy of the Lord has just filled their souls. And no one was healed. No one fell over. No one's screaming and shouting with joy. But right then, the dead was, were just raised to life. We're totally dependent on God. We can't do it ourselves. I want to ask Cole a couple of questions. Cole, come jump up here with me quickly. Um, as a demonstration of this, this is, this is my friend Carl. This is our friend Carl. Hi. Um, Carl, you're a Christian, right? Yeah. Uh, you're a married man, right? Yes. Congratulations. That's got nothing to do with the interview. But <laughs> how long ago did you become a Christian? Uh, approximately three years. Three years ago? Yeah. Okay. So, and at the moment you're interning here? Yeah. Yeah? And do you feel like, uh, do, do you spend a, um, sorry, what am I trying to ask you? Um, you've only been saved for three years, but do you share the gospel of Jesus with other people? that don't know Jesus? I try to. Yeah? Yeah. Is that something that you're, you're passionate about? Um, yep. Yeah? Um, before you got saved, you had a friend, right? Uh, yep. <laughs> Quite a few, but yeah. <laughs> uh, you, had a, you had a friend who did one of these things that I'm talking about, which is like meeting on the beach and going for a walk or something, right? Yeah, absolutely. Is that how, how long did you guys meet up? Uh, was uh, one of my best friends, Mike, and we met up very often anyway, but then it became like a weekly thing where we went for a swim in the morning, Wednesday mornings, still doing it. And uh, that was, oh, we're doing it since about four or five years. Four or five years. So, yeah. so how long were you not a Christian for? Probably about a year or something. A year, and, and he would, you guys would meet up at least every week, but other times as well? Um, yeah, once in a while, he would always help me move. I moved a lot. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but even before the beach meetings, we would uh, meet up quite often. Yeah. Yeah. And would he talk to you about Jesus? Um, 
the way he would talk about Jesus, especially when I ask him, then he'd be super keen about that. Um, and he actually invited me into his life, I would say. Um, he invited uh, you into his life, not Jesus? Um, nah, but, no, but... I'm uh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he invited me into his life where I could uh, see Jesus' work. I could see awesome. the fruits because when I met him, he was uh, not... Um, I would say he has, hasn't given his life to Jesus. Yeah. And then uh, when he came back from uh, Africa, he has given his life to Jesus. And then I could see like the change of him, which was, uh, yeah, I guess, quite attractive to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. And uh, during this uh, many meetings, like he once in a while would uh, share some story or um, a story about how he went on the streets and prayed for someone and etc. Yeah, we've shared many things. Okay. And last couple of questions, but I remember you uh, not being a Christian, but sitting in church, I feel like most weeks for a year or two. Is that correct? Yeah. What were you doing there? Uh, I was, uh, well, Mikey brought me along a few times and uh, that was pretty much when I felt like um, I started to venture more, I started to read the Bible, but uh, I wasn't sure about Jesus Christ. Um, and I don't know, I just got pulled uh, towards the church, and when I would come to sit in there, I thought some things I might not agree uh, agreed at that time, which were said, and I was like, oh, what is that about? But I would feel good, and uh, also like the love that has been shown to me by like the people in King's Cross, it was... Uh, kind of like experiencing Jesus. Um, mm. It was just beautiful. And so I felt um, just good about it, and that made me come more often and more often. Mm. Was it important to you that, that you had a friend who met up with you who was a Christian who let you see into his life and that you had a church where you could not be a Christian and, and sit week after week after week and participate? Oh, 100%. Like that's super super important i think like if it wouldn't have been for mikey introducing me to king's cross it might would have taken more years to come to jesus i think eventually would have come anyway <laughs> <laughs> i hope so <laughs> but no it's so good um but yeah it was super important because um if i didn't have this uh, access then i would have just wandered around hmm. what does it mean to you today to know jesus or everything. Like, I don't want to live without him. Has he changed your life? Uh, very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it was... It, yeah, I think I became uh, another person, and I hear it quite often from uh, my friends that uh, I'm not Christian yet. I hope they come one day to Christ. There's, uh, they say, like, oh... Call respect what you're doing and so on and it's like oh this is good like what I did in regards to my journey how I met my wife and how we like uh, pursued like together in a, I would say Christian way <laughs> yeah that's like code for you didn't have sex before marriage <laughs> that's it <laughs> yeah right <laughs> you think you'd be married to Emily today if, if it wasn't for Jesus no no don't think so that was also like uh, really beautiful to see and uh, Mike's progression with uh, his journey with God, how he changed. And then I saw like, oh, wow. And then he met Naomi, his beautiful wife. 
and uh, how they perceived, and I was like, what, you're not having sex? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> and, um, and he was like firm in regards to that, and it was like just good to see, and uh, when I uh, was best man and his wedding, it was just amazing. I saw like, wow, that's like, that is God's, God's work, oh. absolutely. Um, just last question. What is the most precious aspect of Jesus to you today? Can change tomorrow but today as you think about it um i think the most precious is that no matter how i am um he still loves me and it's like i'm always welcome hmm. um i think that's one of the most important aspects right now it's like it's a liberation that hmm. uh, uh i recognize my shortcomings but they don't matter to jesus Right. That's like amazing. It's just, and uh, yeah, I love his presence. Um, that yeah, he's a living God, and that's so good. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Carl. Well done. <laughs> having a friend for having a friend who loves you for a number of years, who you don't know that where they're leading you, um, but they know they know why they're connecting with you. They know where they're nudging you, conversations here and there, uh, things to think about here and there, inviting you into a community of faith that, that loves you as you are and has space for you as you are. The kingdom of heaven is, is um, going to have coal in it. The eternal kingdom of heaven, coal's going to be there with the king. And there's many other people like Carl who... Um, are going to come to know Jesus and we get to participate in that. Sharing the good news with others is a journey of simplicity in which we are to anticipate that others may receive or reject the message of Jesus and that ultimately we are dependent upon God. So people disregard Jesus because he is too mysterious or too normal and they will not relinquish their self-government. And this is what we learned today. Yet, we should seek to share the good news about Jesus with those around us by remembering it's a journey to take our time and look for the opportunities. Inspect your heart and life to see if God is everything to you that you say He can be to others. Remember that it is a message for all people and all kinds of people. But don't lose focus or water down the claims of Jesus. And ultimately, know that you depend on God to breathe life over death. Let me pray for us. Father God, you have won our hearts. And you have transferred us into the kingdom of your glorious Son. As you send us out, I pray that you would take off of us the pressures that we feel, the burdens that we feel, the intimidation that we feel, and allow us, like the disciples, to fully depend on you, to look for the opportunities, to share what we can, to lean onto others. And to watch people that we learn to love 
coming to know the love of Jesus. That we may have the privilege of seeing dead people raised to life and in enjoying an eternal kingdom. Like Mikey will look at Carl, and I don't know what it will be like in heaven, but surely one of the best parts for Mikey will be to see Carl there. What joy it will bring his heart over and over and over. Thank you for inviting us into that. We pray for people in Perth to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We pray for our families. We pray for our children, our parents. We pray for our co-workers, our neighbors. Help our lives to be a demonstration of the good news. And help our, <coughs> help our lips in the proclamation of good news. In your precious and wonderful name. Amen.